But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That's Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. And I am not the first to give you Christmas greetings this morning, but I certainly wish you a very joyous and blessed and maybe even a Merry Christmas to each of you today. Now, indeed, that, how we thank God that there was this baby lying in a manger. Of, yes, well, there is the subject of this Sunday and every Sunday and of all our lives. The babe who is also, I just heard you say, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Luke 2, Luke chapter 2 must be one of the most uh, familiar chapters in the whole book, isn't it? I think that's the case for church people in America and on the globe, and maybe even for unchurched people, uh, that they are somewhat similar, uh, they're somewhat familiar with uh, Luke 2. Maybe more so than most chapters. I think that Luke must be one of the most familiar chapters in the Bible. And if that's the case for everybody, I think it's especially the case for us here today. Um, we like to think that we are fairly biblically literate and even steeped, and I use that word in the best possible way, even steeped in Bible Truth, Bible, uh, we just know quite a lot about the Bible, and we are very familiar with Luke 2. And especially so after our Sunday school lesson today, right? And especially, especially so after the scripture reading that you helped with just a few minutes ago, and up here from this vantage point, that just sounded really wonderful. Thank you for that. So since we are so literate uh, in the Bible and in Luke 2, one of the most familiar chapters in the Bible, um, I think it would be neat uh, and maybe even appropriate if I would just give you a little quiz as to how much you know about Luke 2. So if you will, just for a minute or a couple minutes, why don't you close your Bibles, which is something that we don't normally ask for. Uh, an open Bible at church and during the sermon is a wonderful thing. But just for a little bit, if you'll close your Bibles, and let's just see. And this is an easy quiz, and even a short one. There's only seven questions. Are you ready? Uh, here, here's the first question. How many times in... Is the, the donkey that Mary rode and that jo Joseph led into Bethlehem mentioned in Luke 2? And you don't have to answer out loud. Uh, just answer that in your head. How many times is the donkey that Mary rode and that Joseph led into Bethlehem mentioned in Luke 2? Number two. How many times is it mentioned in Luke 2 that Joseph and Mary barely made it into Bethlehem before Jesus was born? How many times is it mentioned in Luke 2 that Joseph and Mary barely made it into Bethlehem before Jesus was born? 
You think you have 100% so far? Number three, how many times is the innkeeper mentioned in Luke 2? How many times is the innkeeper mentioned in Luke 2? Number four, how many times are the animals, you know, the friendly beasts, mentioned in Luke 2? How many times are the animals, like the friendly beasts song, mentioned in Luke 2? Number five, how many times is the stable mentioned in Luke 2? You're still following? You're still here with me? Probably you still have 100%, right? Number six, how many times is the starry night mentioned in Luke 2? How many times is the starry night mentioned in Luke 2? And last, number seven, how many times is the manger mentioned in Luke 2? How many times is the manger mentioned in Luke 2? So, there it is. Seven questions, nice, quick, easy quiz. So now it's time to grade, or to correct the quiz. Number one, and you can help me now. How many times is the donkey that Mary rode and Joseph led into Bethlehem mentioned in Luke 2? How many times, number two, is it mentioned in Luke 2 that Joseph and Mary barely made it into Bethlehem before Jesus was born? And you could look at Luke 2, 6 to notice that especially. Number three, how many times is the innkeeper mentioned in Luke 2? Number four, how many times are the animals, the friendly beasts, mentioned in Luke 2? You didn't sound too sure about that. Zero. All right. Number five, how many times is the stable mentioned in Luke 2? And the zeros are correct, so yeah. Number six, how many, how many times is the, is the starry night mentioned in Luke 2? Zero. Number seven, how many times is the manger mentioned in Luke 2? Three times, yes, three times. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, you, but check it out. I think verse seven, 12 and 16, three times the manger is mentioned. So what is the purpose of a quiz like that? Well, people, very well-meaning people, have used their imagination and their creativity to envision the details of what could have been the case that night in Bethlehem, that time in Bethlehem. And they've used their their imagination and their creativity that God has blessed them with to not only envision, but also maybe to embellish the story, the details of what could have been, what might have occurred. And now I have two questions to ask you about that. Number one, is that all right? Is it, and number two, is it helpful? The, the songs that we sing, the Bible stories, give lots of these details, these and more. Um, is that wrong? Number one question. And I would answer by saying, no, no, not really. It, uh, I think that um, to envision what could have been, to use your God-given creativity and imagination could be all right. And then the second question to answer that, is it helpful? Well, I'll let you decide that. But I would also say, uh, thinking about all of this, that 
we really should be careful, should we not, about insisting on details that haven't been spelled out and included in the text in God's Word. So the manger is mentioned three times. So I'm thinking now of the sermon today that, that we'd like to major on the manger since it was mentioned three times. And now I think that it's really high time for you to open your swords, your Bibles. Once again, after the quiz, thank you for taking that with me. And let's just notice as we major on the, ma on the manger. Two more questions that I have for you. Why couldn't the God of the universe, who orchestrated all these details so that his son could be born at the right time and the right place and in the right set of circumstances, why couldn't have he arranged something more suitable in which to lay the king in, the baby king in. Question number two. Why wouldn't? First I asked why couldn't, and now number two is why wouldn't the God of the universe who orchestrated all these details so that his son could be born at the right time in the right place, in the right set of circumstances, why couldn't have he arranged something, why wouldn't he have arranged something more suitable in which to lay the, king, the baby king in than a filthy manger? And before we answer that question, if it's all right, let me just comment on when I said that the God who orchestrated all of this and really, we know, don't we, that God did really orchestrate quite a lot of things. Let's just talk about two of them. Number one is Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world, and whose policies um, and, and his kingship, or his Caesarship back then in the, over the Roman Empire uh, lasted for quite a long time. He, he was a wise, able king, uh, um, leader of the Roman Empire. And why he would have, who would have guessed that he would only be a, palm, a pawn in the hand of the almighty, good, great God? He wanted a census, he wanted a taxation, uh, but it was God working behind the scenes and orchestrating all that. Another a little issue or one little avenue of, of God's orchestrating is how, how that the prophecy of Micah 5.2 was fulfilled, how God did that. Isn't that a classic? Isn't that wonderful? Uh, Micah 5.2, And thou Bethlehem Ephrata in Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth who is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Something like that that goes. And how did God orchestrate that and work that out? That someone whose parents lived in Nazareth 
actually was born in Bethlehem? Well, it was God orchestrating behind the scenes. So, why couldn't the God of the universe, who orchestrated all this and more, why couldn't he have somehow arranged to have something a little better for Jesus to lay in than a manger? Why couldn't he have? Or the question could be, couldn't he have? And I would hope that you would answer real long and loud that of course he could have. He certainly could have. Of course, sure, certainly, easy, God could have done that. Right? Question number one, certainly. How about question number two? Why wouldn't he have? Why wouldn't God have arranged something better than a manger for Jesus to lay his head? Why wouldn't he have? Well, I think one way of answering that question would be that he wanted nothing more than a manger because the manger was perfect for his purposes and that the manger really had a mission in God's plan and purpose. And that brings me to the title that I've chosen, The Mission of the Manger. The Mission of the Manger. So, yeah, we use that word, mission, sometimes, or mission, you know, about missionaries. And when someone has a mission, he's, he's working on that. What was the mission of the manger? Since we believe that God could have done it differently, but certainly not better, it was perfect, what do we think that God had in mind? What was the mind of God in having a manger to be an integral part of the story? It was mentioned three times in Luke 2. Well, let's just try to answer that question as best as we can. And as we here try to answer that, it'll be incomplete because God has plenty more good reasons, I'm sure, but let's just think about what God could, might have had in mind. What would have been, what was the mission of the manger that God in his goodness and in his sovereignty and his power provided the manger for Jesus to lie in? The manger. So the thrust of the sermon here is to explore possible reasons why God sovereign and almighty and holy and perfect and all-knowing as he is, what might God have had in mind when he arranged for the manger to have a major place in the story? The mission of the manger. Well, I would suggest that, and maybe you're thinking of that too, but in verse 7, the manger is mentioned, Luke 2, 7. And notice the last part of the verse, the last phrase because there was no room for them in the end. One of the missions that God might have had in mind, and I'm suggesting may have had in mind, one of the missions of the manger was that it pictures Jesus' rejection on earth in general. There was no room for Jesus, for Mary and Joseph, and Jesus in the end. That pictures his situation on earth, his life on earth in various times. Jesus' rejection on earth. The manger 
pictures Jesus' rejection on earth. Why do you think that Mary and Joseph were turned away at the inn? And we're just guessing. We're just conjecturing. But if, those, if that couple came to the inn door and the innkeeper, if indeed there was someone like that, although remember it wasn't mentioned, he's not mentioned at all in the Bible. If the innkeeper opened the door and saw that couple standing there, it would have been easy for him to say, to turn them away and say there's no room in the inn. All he would have had to do is look at Joseph and he could have easily seen that Joseph was a very poor man. And all that he would have had to look to do was look at Mary a little bit and know that um, this was a high needs uh, situation with her obviously about ready to deliver. So, too poor, too high needs. And maybe rightly so, but they were turned away. There was no room for them in the inn. We could also ask the question, for what, for what or for whom was there room in the inn? Well, there was, I'm sure there was plenty of room for successful business people. There was business, there was room for business in the inn. There was room for pleasure in the inn. There was room for ease and leisure. And the, I'm guessing that the rich people had the sweets and the popular people also, and the famous ones, and the ones that would give lots of tip, and maybe even the innkeeper. Maybe he could have given up his room. But there was lots of room in the inn for certain situations and certain people, but not for Jesus. And as we think about how that the manger, the mission, one of the missions of the manger is that it pictures Jesus' rejection on earth at other times in his life here on earth. Um, wh what are you thinking? Wh when other times in Jesus' life on earth was he rejected by people? Well, we're thinking of Herod, certainly. He rejected Jesus so badly that he wanted him killed real badly. Luke 4 talks, mentions how that his hometown rejected Jesus. And certainly we understand that the scribes and Pharisees rejected Jesus. And so did the Sadducees. And in Mark 3 talks about how his friends said, remember what his friends said about Jesus? He said, they said, he's beside himself. He's wacky in the head. So Herod did, his hometown did, the scribes and Pharisees. They all rejected Jesus. Now his friends rejected Jesus. John 7 talks about how his brethren, probably his family, rejected Jesus. And Jonas, uh, this morning in the devotional, read in John 1, 10 and 11, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Rejection. Rejection, rejection, rejection. And that brings us down to the question, the more personal, individual question for each of us here today, for you and for me. 
What about you? What about me? Can we add to that? Do we actually have to... Do I add to that list of people that rejected Jesus? That's probably a partial list. There's other times and places. But what about me? If I have never accepted the salvation that Jesus offers, well then, I also am certainly rejecting Jesus. And if I'm like Jonah, who... Remember last Sunday's sermon uh, that Glenn spoke about Jonah? Um, if I'm like Jonah and saying no to God, I'm adding to the list as well, even if I'm a Christian. If God is asking me to make an apology or to go somewhere or to talk to someone about Jesus and I'm saying no, I'm adding to that. The manger pictures the, how that Jesus was rejected on earth not only at the manger, but throughout his lifetime. Um, back in the 1870s, C.C. Wilson, C.C. Williams wrote us a song that we sometimes sing. Have you any room for Jesus? He who bore your load of sin. As he knocks and asks admission, sinner, will you let him in? Room for Jesus, King of glory, Hasten now his word obey. Swing the heart's door widely open. Bid him enter while you may. Room for pleasure, room for business, but for Christ the crucified, not a place that he can enter in the heart for which he died. Have you any room for Jesus, as in grace he calls again? Oh, today is time accepted. Tomorrow you may call in vain. Room for Jesus, King of glory. Hasten now his word obey. Swing the heart's door widely open. Bid him enter while you may. Well, secondly, I think that the manger, the mission of the manger might have been not only pictures Jesus' rejection on earth, but it also, secondly, pictures Jesus' redemption. Beautiful picture. Thank God for his redemption. Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem, the village of Bethlehem, was known at that time for sheep breeding and sheep growing and sheep shepherding. That was the main industry and connection that Bethlehem had. It was a sheep town. And those, the sheep were grown for sacrifice at the temple. So, sheep, taking care of sheep, and then at certain times of the year, you would funnel that off to the temple for sheep sacrifice. Years later, maybe about 30 years later, uh, John the Baptist, on successive days, looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. That's in John 1. And one time, one of those two times, he said, which taketh away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And in stating it that way, he may have perhaps been thinking about Jesus' beginning from sheep town, Bethlehem. For years in the Jewish economy, we know that from reading the Old Testament, 
as well as the book of Hebrews and places like that, for years and decades and centuries and for generations, sheep had been sacrificed by the Jewish people as a picture and as a temporary covering and as pointing toward the Lamb of God, which, like John the Baptist said, would take away the sin of the world, the sins of the world. For years and decades and centuries and generations that had been happening, and the Jewish people were so familiar with that. And I think that some of the key words in John the Baptist's declaration was, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Not for years, these sacrifices, these lambs that were being offered, often coming from the town of Bethlehem, they were only temporarily covering. They were just a picture. They were just pointing toward the one true Lamb of God, which we know is Christ Jesus, the Lord, the baby in the manger. Those words that taketh away the sin of the world, not just covering it temporarily, not just pointing toward the Lamb of God, not just a picture of that, but the actual doing of that. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. What a glorious statement. And it's true and wonderful today that Jesus takes away those sins as we repent and confess. We're thinking now about how the manger is a picture of Jesus' redemption, taking away the sins of the world, taking away our sins. And I'm just guessing, but since this manger was in Bethlehem, since this was a Bethlehem manger, it was probably built with sheep in mind. And since this was a manger in Bethlehem, I'm just guessing that it could have well have been that it was being used especially for sheep. We often think about oxen and the cow with the curly horn and those kind of things, but I suspect that really that it was more for sheep. I like to, any more, uh, since studying for this sermon, I like to think of that manger as being a sheep manger. And that pictures, again, the redemption of, that Christ brings for the sin problem here on earth. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Do you get it? Um, God was even at, his, at, his, at the Savior's birth, I think, doubling down on that picture that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Here was the Lamb of God born in lamb country, right? And laid in a lamb feeding trough with, I can easily picture a couple of sheep around the edges, don't you think? Uh, maybe cows and uh, doves on, uh, on the rafter high, but especially sheep. We're thinking about the redemption of the Lamb of God brings. I thank God. I think that you, I think that we together thank God this Christmas season for the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world slain from the foundation of the world. And, and in a beautiful little way, the manger pictures Jesus' redemption. It was a sheep manger, a lamb manger, I'd like to think. Thank God for the Lamb of God. Thank God for his redemption. So, 
The third picture that we'd like to look at, we've, we've noticed how that the manger, the mission of the manger may have been to picture Christ's rejection here on earth. And we notice how it could also picture Christ's redemption that he has wrought while here on earth. And we should link, like the Bible does, that we should link Christmas and Good Friday, and especially Christmas and Good Friday and Easter, or the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Remember Galatians 4, 4 and 5? Um, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, Christmas, you know, sent forth his son made of a woman, Christmas, to redeem them that were under the law, to redeem them, that's, uh, that's Good Friday and Easter. We're talking about the redemption in Christ Jesus, to redeem. Let's now think about how that the mission of the manger could also be to picture not only Christ's rejection and not only Christ's redemption, but also to picture Jesus' reachableness. And you might say that's no word, and you might could be right, because I looked it up on dictionary.com, and there's no word like reachableness, but you understand that it should be an R, right? And you should also understand that... Um, I got that word from Chuck Sly, and if it's good enough for him, then maybe it's good enough for me and, for, and good enough for us together. I like the sound of that word, reachableness, but I like the truth of Jesus' reachableness even more. The manger, the mission of the, one of the missions of the manger is to picture Jesus' reachableness. We can reach him, can we not? Can you think of anything? Can you think of a lot of things that are more common, or more lowly, or more mundane than on a farm or on a farm setting than a manger, a feed trough, with all the, the uh, dirt and manure around, and all the slobbering on the manger, and those kind of things? Can you think of something? of an occupation maybe more common and more lowly and more mundane than shepherding sheep. The people of Israel that day probably couldn't think of occupations much more lowly than that. There's indications given in Scripture that really shepherding was a lowly job, not well thought of. And let's see... What kind of people were they uh, in which God condescended and sent the angels down to tell people about this lamb, that, uh, this baby that was born? It was shepherds, wasn't it? Yeah, wise men too, but shepherds, lowly people. They were given a lowly sign to watch for. These lowly shepherds were given a lowly sign to watch for, a babe lying in a manger. In a manger, can you imagine I think all of this should remind us of something that the Bible is quite clear about. And let me say that just a little bit differently. I think all of this should remind us, thank the Lord, that of something that the Bible is pretty clear about, quite clear about, is that God's salvation is reachable. We're thinking about how that the 
mission of the manger was to picture God's reachableness. God and his salvation is reachable, and God's Savior is reachable. It's so reachable, it's within grasp, so that whether you're rich or you're poor, you can come to Christ. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can come to Christ. Whether you're old or young, or smart or dumb, or from a good family or from a dysfunctional, or male or female, or whether you're from the oriental part of the world or the occidental part of the world, whether you're cultured or simple, none of that matters. Neither does it matter whether you're very well educated or untaught. Whether you have been vilely sinful or whether you've been seemingly righteous, it doesn't matter. God's redemption reaches you and me. That's such a simple message, but it's so vital and it's so precious. Even for us here in our 21st century after Christ, thank God that his salvation is reachable. It comes down even to us. Even to us sitting here. Thank God for all of that. Is it hard for you to understand or to accept that God's salvation is reachable? Or do you think that you somehow have done so much that you're outside the reach of grace? Well, let me tell you about a few other things that the Bible says. Not only here in Luke 2, uh, where the manger pictures God's reachableness, but listen to these words from the Bible. And pick out maybe a few words. In Isaiah 55, 1, the Bible says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. And you notice, do you not, that word everyone. Everyone that thirsteth. John 6, 37, last part of the verse. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. John 7, 37 End of the verse, if any man thirst, there it is again, thirsting, let him come unto me and drink. If any man, anybody. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. Reachableness, you know. And let him that is a thirst come. And, and what's the next word? And whosoever will, let him take the water of life Freely, whosoever will. John 1.12, after those disheartening verses about the rejection of Christ, and Jonas read that this morning, uh, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But the next word, in verse 12, it's the word but. But as many as received him, to them... But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What is the mission of the manger? Mentioned three times in Luke 2. The mission of the manger is very to picture Jesus' rejection on earth. It's to picture Jesus' redemption while on earth. 
And certainly it's to picture Jesus' reachableness. As I think of that and knowing that there's so much more that the manger certainly pictures in God's um, perfect world and perfect plan as it was, the mission of the manger, thank God for the manger. But thank God even more for the babe that was laid in the manger. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Will you kneel with me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, as we're gathered here today, and as we're kneeling before you here, uh, we especially thank you for baby Jesus, born in a manger. But we thank you even more that he is more than a baby. He is our Savior. He has rescued us from the pits of sin. He is our Savior. He is the Messiah of Israel, just like Luke 2 says. He, um, Christ, that word is Messiah. And he is also, we confess him as our Lord, as our Master. And Lord, I pray that we would continually in life be saying, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Never saying no, but saying yes to your will for us. Thank you for salvation full and free. Thank you for this Christmas season when once again we commemorate and celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus. And that's an incomplete story until we include Good Friday with Christmas and especially until we include Easter morning to Christmas, and then especially when we also um, link your, the coming of the Lord Jesus again the second time to complete that story, and we pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.